This month's episode of Paranormal Heart is brought to you by Nodakian Studios. If you're looking for a beautiful piece of stoneware pottery, check out Nodakian Studios at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Nodakian Studios. And also check her out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Nodakian Studios, where you can see updates on where she's going to be, as well as giveaways. Go check it out. Welcome to Paranormal Heart, a place where people can talk about their paranormal experiences. With your host, Cat Ward. Welcome back, folks, to Paranormal Heart, your monthly paranormal podcast, where you can find me the last Sunday of every month on Podbean, IamDarkWaters.com every Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern, RadioAndPodcast.com, iTunes, Paranormal Radio, TuneIn, and Spotify. As some of you know, I mentioned that Boo and I would be announcing an exciting contest. The time's here, guys. Are you ready? To be entered, you simply send me an email at paranormalheart13 at gmail.com and tell me you'd like to be entered. And also go on over to Podbean and click that follow button or my YouTube channel and subscribe. I'll enter your name into the, into the draw. Simple as that. What's the prize, you ask? I don't have one, but two prizes. Up for grabs are two 30-minute readings via Skype or Facebook video with Paranormal Investigator, psychic medium, and TV personality as psychic consultant, Katie Turner. You don't want to miss your chance, folks. Good luck to everyone. And the contest will be open for about a month. I'll announce the winners during the next episode. That will be out, let's see, March 24th. Folks, for episode 16, my guest has many talents. He's a folklorist, cryptozoologist, adventurer, actor, has had a play produced, an author of over a dozen books on various cryptids, as well as poetry. And he's a podcaster. I think my favorite show of his would be co-host of Inside the Goblin Universe. He's such a fascinating individual. Please help me welcome the crypto guru himself, Mr. Ronald Murphy. Hello, Ron, the crypto guru himself. Thank you so much for being on Paranormal Heart. Hey, I'm excited to be here. We, we've, we've, we've spoken a few times via uh, the internet, you know, through yep. typing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But this is the very first time we've ever hearing each other's voices at the same time. I know. It's amazing. I feel like I've known you because I've listened to you on, of course, Dave Scott's Spaced Out Radio. And uh, hear you, you know, on your podcasts and everything. So um, I, of course, know your voice. And uh, yeah, but it's, it's, it's really great that we actually get to speak. Yeah, it's, it is kind of cool because I think we've been friends now for about a year and a half or two years. So we've yeah. been following each other. But this is the first time we're in that kind of, you know, electronic living room together. <laughs> I like that electronic living room. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, well, this is Valentine's month. Um, Valentine's Day is coming on, but since it's a monthly podcast at the end of the month, I thought I'd have a little, you know, Valentine's special. And since you are the crypto guru himself, I thought whatever cryptozoological creature you know of that has something to do with the heart... Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they're all near and dear to our heart, Cat, if you know what I'm talking about. I know what so, you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think whenever I think of, of things that go bump in the night or things that lurk in the darkness, uh, whenever you talk about the heart, the first kind of creature that instantly pops into mind is the vampire, you know, yep, because. Same here. You know, yeah, whenever you want to take one of these creatures out, one of the best ways to do it is a stake right through the heart. So I think in the spirit of, of Valentine's Day, we should begin this discussion with uh, the vampire. Does that sound okay for that you? sounds great. <laughs> All right, great. Um, yeah, um, about, um, oh, I guess it's about two years ago now, um, I wrote a book entitled On Vampires as part of my On series. And, um, you know, I've always been interested in vampires. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was really struck to see how long, especially in America, the belief in the vampire continued to think that these are real things stalking the night, um, especially in New England of all places, you know, not very far from Boston, which was, you know, a huge educational center. We find people still disinterring bodies as late as 1892, which I find so yeah. incredibly, um, you know, uh, it, it, both exciting and revolting to think that people were still carrying on these kind of folk memories. Mm -hmm. But uh, keep in mind, my great-grandmother was born in 1890, and, you know, I was able to talk to her. So, you know, she was a two-year-old child when this kind of stuff was going on. So this is not ancient history. Mm -hmm. You know, we think about the Middle Ages and we think about the Renaissance, you think, well, these are unscientific times. You know, we're talking about a time whenever they were already playing professional baseball for about 30 years before this, to put everything into perspective. But, uh, you know, there was um, a tuberculosis outbreak. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, at the time they called tuberculosis consumption because it appeared as if something was actually feeding off the living body until the body just simply withered away and died. Um, sometimes there's some blood around, you know, people coughing up blood and such because it does affect the lungs. Well, there's one incident uh, uh, in uh, Exeter, Rhode Island, which is probably the most famous one. Whenever a family was starting to be taken out one by one by tuberculosis, the mother passed away, the daughter had passed away. And it was part of the imagination at the time that there must be something feeding upon the family. So uh, like any good father who, uh, you know, was, was protective of his family, uh, he went out with a group of neighbors, uh, shovels in hand, and started to dig up the deceased family members. Now, they dug up the wife, and there seemed to be no problem. But whenever they dug up the, the daughter who had recently passed, Mercy Brown was her name, they discovered that she did have some blood, some evidence that she might still be alive in some way, one of the undead, if you will. Mm -hmm. And uh, they saw, thought that this is definitely the vampire that was uh, preying upon the family. So they, um, they tore out her heart. Uh, uh, they, 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 they burnt it over fire until it turned to ash. They took the ash and put it into water. And then this, the, the father gave it to his son to ingest, hoping that this would indeed cure him oh. of the uh, the elements of the vampire. Uh, the, the, the son died, you know, not too long afterwards. But, you know, this happened in 1892. And this story 
hit the imagination so so hard that um, our friend Bram Stoker may mm-hmm. indeed have patterned a couple of his characters, uh, like uh, Mina Harker, mm-hmm. off of uh, Mercy Brown because it stuck so much into the uh, to the media at the time. Wow, it's fascinating. Yes, yes, yes. So keep in mind, though, you know, that the idea of the heart, uh, whatever you're dealing with that, uh, you know, uh, it's a good thing nobody's burning hearts anymore or or things like that. But yeah, 1892, which I find, you know, amazing. Now, if we would look to Eastern Europe, I mean, there's still times when people have uh, disinterred bodies as late as uh, 2007. Now, keep in mind, these are the ones that are reported. There's probably a lot of things happening, you know, off the periphery in the very rural areas that nobody hears about. But, yeah, that's still a very strong folk belief in many places around the world to this very day. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And now uh, I also wrote a book uh, entitled on uh, where on Dogman tracking mm-hmm. the werewolf through history. And what is interesting about uh, the, the werewolf is the original um, celebration around Valentine's Day before it was usurped by the Catholic Church, whenever it was still a Roman pagan holiday. You know, this was a time whenever there was to believe to be, uh, you know, this is whenever animals start mating in February. Uh, this is the time for love. Uh, this is the time when Pomona was celebrated, uh, the goddess of, of, of the orchard coming back to life and everything. And, um, and uh, they had a, an elaborate celebration that was very um, sexually infused, but it also had uh, the remnants of the belief in the werewolf uh, because there was um, uh, dog sacrifice during this time. So isn't it better now that people get chocolates and um, flowers <laughs> instead of sacrificing puppies? Yes. I think we have come oh. a long way, Kat. Yeah, I'd like to think so. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. And uh, yeah, but- go ahead. I was going to say, it's it's a fascinating way. Uh, you know, I, I have such a passion for the paranormal, and not only a passion for the paranormal, but the history of the way it defines certain generations and the way it evolves with, with people. Um, that You know, that's really why I have such an enthusiasm for the paranormal, because it's never static. Yeah, the paranormal has always fascinated me as well, and that's why I call the show Paranormal Heart, because one thing is, you know, I love the paranormal, and so people who have encounters who are afraid to tell people, this is a non- non-judgmental show. You want to tell me your encounters, I'm going to believe you. Um, well, you sure. know, I ha- I'm sure. caring and, you know, I want to hear stories. So, um, well, let, yeah. Let me, interview, let me interview you for a second. So what started you out on this road to paranormal discovery? What was your linchpin that caused you to, you know, take this up as your, your, your aegis, your, your, your seeking your holy grail? What was, what was that turning point for you? When I, between the ages of roughly about five and 12, <clears throat> excuse me, my parents and I lived in this apartment building and it was a really, really old building um, where the furnace in the basement, it used to be a coal furnace. Uh, so, you know, that's a very old building if it's heated by coal. And then they, they switched it over to electric heat years, years later. Um, very creepy building. My room, the creepiest, of course. I had a big walk-in closet. And to this day, I, my, my memories are haunted by this man that lived in my closet. And over the years, I found out that he's referred to as the hat man. But the guy that I used to see was short. He was about four feet tall. Um, apparently, there are a few sightings of the shorter version, but they're usually taller. Um, 
and he, after we moved away from that apartment building, and it's, it's since been torn down, never saw him again. But for a few years, I saw him all the time. And my father used to tell me, you know, there's nothing at night than there is during the daytime. And that was probably a mistake because I looked at him and said, you mean he exists in the daytime too? <laughs> and I was afraid of the, day, of the daytime yeah, for a There's while. no way to get rid of him. Kind of <laughs> no. Yeah, no. As I research goes, yeah, I find out that these kind of archetypical figures of these shadow people mm-hmm. sometimes are known to wear hats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, and, you know, no features. He was just a shadow hat. I don't know if it's a cloak or if it was a trench coat or something. Um, never seemed to pay attention to me. Uh, I never moved. And then just as I got older, you know, uh, hearing ghosts and but I was never really afraid as I got older I kind of learned to accept it and didn't talk to my friends much about it because nobody else saw or heard or had experiences or at least I never admitted it and just growing up I just always seemed to be sensitive towards the paranormal and it's always fascinated me the thing that fascinates me the most is throughout time it doesn't matter the nationality the culture everybody has a ghost story and to me, that brings us together as, as humans. Like, why is why has everyone on every continent, why do we all have these stories, whether they're ghosts, cryptozoological animals, you know, UFOs, whatever. Everyone is having the same experiences around the world. Right, right. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that point up because that's one of the things that really fascinates me. You know, looking at this from an <laughs> archetypical point of view and looking at the sociology and the psychology of this, mm-hmm. Every culture around the world have these kind of creatures present within mm-hmm. their belief system. And it's really interesting um, to try to get to the bottom of this, to see, you know, where this all begins. And that's why that's why I'm in it. Um, there, there's no longer a stigma attached no. uh, to this anymore, is there? I mean, people can come up and talk to people about this kind of stuff now. I just signed uh, a contract with uh, Darla Tours. It's a uh, it's a travel company, and you can see them at uh, darlatours.net. And uh, I'm going to start hosting um, certain cruises and certain. Um, nice. um, yes, it's going to be fun. Uh, we have one already going to be booked uh, in 2020 uh, to Bermuda, so we'll be able to mm-hmm. talk about underwater UFOs, mm-hmm. sea creatures, mermaids on the way to Bermuda. And um, I was uh, I, I was an actor at one time in my yep. life, and I actually got to act professionally in the play um, The Tempest. So we'll go around Bermuda and look at some of the fascinating hot spots that Shakespeare found so you know so mythical uh, uh, throughout the the land. Very um, uh, specifically focused on the fairy realm, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then on the way back, we'll talk about our experiences. But I'm looking forward to this. I well, that's the reason why I'm glad that it's so out in the open. Because people aren't snickering anymore <laughs> at you or laughing you anymore. They want to follow you on your journey. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping to do uh, a tour of New Orleans and looking at ghosts mm-hmm. and voodoo and vampires there. As well as I talked about the Mercy Brown incident. Um, you know, I would love to take people on a tour up in New England and visit these grave sites. So if you're interested in doing anything with me like that, your listeners, uh, feel free to go to darlatours.net. You can... Uh, uh, reach me on there if you want to reach me or, or leave any kind of ideas. But that's going to all be starting up, you know, here very, very shortly. And I hope to have a lot of you uh, listeners uh, come along with me. It will be very exciting. That is very – oh, that would be a type of cruise that I would love to go on. Yeah, you know, or yeah, I am so – excited about really getting started on this kind of stuff and jumping in with both feet. Um, 
I'm also a fan of, you know, Arthurian legend Mm -hmm. and to be able to do a tour of King Arthur and to look at some of the sacred spaces in England, like Glastonbury and Stonehenge. uh, It really kind of elucidates uh, the paranormal whenever you get to visit these particular sites. Mm -hmm. You see what it's like, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, you've visited sites before and it really changes your outlook on things whenever you can see be in the presence of these places. Yep, it does. I haven't been to very well-known places like uh, Stonehenge. Uh, someday, I hope to. Yes. Yeah, I remember seeing um, uh, uh, Loch Ness for the first time, and I was in my 20s whenever I went on an expedition there. And uh, it, it was one of those things that was so awe-inspiring, but it does put things into perspective. I mean, this is not a very uh, uh, a huge body of water. I mean, you can see the other side. It's not like oceanic, uh, mm-hmm. mind you. But, you know, it's very deep. And, and it, it, it could conceivably hold something, but it really does kind of kick into that scientific part of your brain about, you know, what can actually take place here? How can things be undetected if these are air-breathing animals or if they come up on shore to breed or whatever? So, yeah, whenever you visit these places, it really does make an impact on you. So, like I said, I, whenever I was offered the chance to jump in, I, I, I immediately did. That's awesome. What do you think Nessie is? Um. Uh, the, the most recent book that I wrote on my on series was is entitled On Aquatic Monsters of the Great Lakes. And that's just been out since about September. Mm. Not very long. And um, I, I, the Loch Ness, um, uh, Lake Champlain that borders Vermont and, uh, and New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess bits of Canada as well, too, if I'm not mistaken. No, mm-hmm. it's Canada and, and Vermont, right? I think it's solely in those two places. Um, but I've been there, and it's a massive lake as well, too, much larger than Loch Ness. Yeah. But, um, uh, and uh, the Great Lakes, they're all, they were all created around the same time, about 14,000 years ago, at the time of the last glacial event. So these waters, even though they're separated by a world apart, share a very deep, uh, you know, geological history. And it's interesting to think that the same type of animals are seen in these same type of lakes, which, you know, leads me to believe that is it possible that at the end of the last glacial period, there were still, you know, plesiosaurs active around the shallow coast of the United States and Europe. And whenever these kind of seaways broke open, allowing all the seawater to rush in, that some of these animals go in there, eventually get trapped, and then it start adapting to these very deep, cold water lakes. And I think it's very possible that that did happen. Um, I also examined the possibility that there might be some sort of uh, a seal that was able to evolve in some of the uh, uh, the Great Lakes. We know that the Lake Bacall seal does exist. It's the only seal native to fresh water. But it's possible that there are seals that have made their way into the Great Lakes uh, they definitely make their way into uh, Loch Ness as well as dolphins, too. Mm-hmm. And that's a freshwater lake. So, uh, And also sharks. Um, sharks have made their way into Loch Ness. And they, th- there has been uh, a report in the shark database uh, that there was an attack on a small boy in Lake Michigan, of all places, by a shark really? uh, in 1955. So strange things are going on all over the world. Yeah, Lake Champlain is, uh, I believe it borders Quebec um, and Vermont. Yeah, that's exactly right. Thank you, Gabe, because I I, I was up late last night, and then, you know, my geography, even though it's about (laughs) 3 o'clock in the afternoon where I'm at right now, I'm still a little muddled yet, so I thank you for looking that up for me. No worries. Yeah, I didn't know that about the shark. 
Hmm. Yeah, yeah, well, is it possible that it was a shark? Even though people maintain that it was a shark, and the first responders on the scene said that it was a shark attack, um, I'm thinking that it might have been a misidentified pike or a misidentified uh, uh, muskie or some animal like that. To think that it was a shark, I mean, you're really putting yourself out there. Although, um, bull sharks uh, are known to be able to physiologically adapt quite quickly from salt water to fresh water. And bull sharks have been seen as far north as Alton, Illinois. Hmm. So it's very possible that a shark has made its way up the Mississippi River and entered the Great Lakes that way, or possibly went through the St. Lawrence uh, Seaway and entered the lakes that way. But, yeah, I mean, 1955, a shark was attacked. Now, people have reported seeing uh, great white sharks in Lake uh, in Lake Michigan, and we know that late, great white sharks don't do well in captivity. I mean, there's no great white shark in captivity because they don't live very well. They're not meant for that kind of uh, environment. But, uh, you know, people are still reporting seeing sharks uh, in the Great Lakes. Um, but people are also reporting seeing plesiosaurs and giant turtles and, you know, uh, uh, a plethora of other uh, sort of uh, uh, cryptid creatures. So, uh, but if you go, and I was lucky enough to actually do a flyover of a lot of these, uh, of these great lakes while I was writing my book. And uh, these are desolate areas. Um, You know, there's plenty of places for a creature to hide. It's not like the ocean. We don't have massive amounts of building right up onto the, uh, onto the beaches of these lakes. You know, most of these places are pretty solitary and there's a lot of solitude. And not only uh, are the Great Lakes very oceanic in its, in its, in its, its appearance and its physical makeup, uh, there's also about 35,000 islands within the Great Lakes system for plenty of more places for these creatures to hide. And on those islands, there are many lakes on those, so so mm-hmm. think about all this place, these all these places to hide. It exponentially increases the chances to have an elusive creature still existing in the 21st century on the Great Lakes. No kidding. I'm originally from the east coast of Canada, and you would think that the waters there would be too cold for sharks, but they've been known to have um, sharks in the Bay of Fundy. You know. Uh, the oh, ocean, okay. it's just, yeah, it's it's wild. And I just recently found out, we were watching a documentary, and it was um, oh, what, what, Alaskan sharks. I didn't even know they could be up that far north. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, they have the Greenland shark that exists. You know, you find it swimming underneath ice. Mm-hmm. So these shark species, they're very, very peculiar animals. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So are you from New Brunswick then? Yes, I am. Well, see, one of my favorite places on earth is uh, is Maine. I love Maine. Mm-hmm. And if you go up to Lubeck, uh, you know, the last point in the United States, as far as you can go before you hit uh, New Brunswick, mm-hmm. um, that's right along. that It gets that same type of tidal flow as the Bay of Fundy that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And it's really one of my places. This is a very wild place, isn't it? I mean, it's not very hospitable to human beings. It's beautiful to look at, but really, this is a raw nature up in that area. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But there's reports of Bigfoot up in that area. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons why I went up there. I mean, there's plenty of places, again, for something that is elusive and want to stay hidden in places like Maine and New Brunswick with no problem at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've, there's been a few sightings of Bigfoot in New Brunswick, some in Quebec, uh, some in Ontario. I live in, the, right now, I'm in the Ottawa Valley and not too far from here, um, Algonquin Park area. 
there's been Bigfoot sightings. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I was living in Alberta for a few years, and um, there's lots of sightings in Alberta. It's just amazing. Right. And the, the interesting thing about this with the sightings, um, in order for you to have a sighting, you have to cross the paths of one of these creatures. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of place, places that people don't understand in the United States and Canada where, you know, you could live for quite a while without anybody crossing your path. Yep. We're still living in a world that's pretty wild in certain places. Mm -hmm. For sure. I Maine, for instance, is uh, the least populated state um, east of the Mississippi River. I mean, and it is, I mean, it, it's got heavily forested area. Um, and I, I know I do a lot of um, uh, investigations in the Dogman legend. Mm -hmm. And whenever you look Places like Michigan and Wisconsin and, uh, you know, Minnesota, there's a lot of very wild forest area up there where things could indeed remain hidden. Mm -hmm. So whenever people think that we found everything possible to find, I think that kind of puts us in our place. You know, we have this kind of human hubris to us to think that we know everything, <laughs> but, uh, but, but we don't. I mean, there's plenty of things no. still out there to be found. I get some people, I've never had a Bigfoot encounter, and I frankly don't want one after mm -hmm. hearing so many other counters, encounters, but I get so many people say, you know, well, we've never seen one. How do we know for sure? And, you know, I've been out in the woods so many times, and I've never seen one. Well, you've probably never seen a bear out in the woods either, but you know they're there. Right, you know? that's right. How many, how many times yeah. are you going to actually encounter wildlife while you're, while you're in the woods? You know they're there, but you might not see them. Yeah, that that's a, a great point. I have never seen a bear uh, with my eyes either. I've come across tracks, mm -hmm. um, but, I, but I've never seen one. And there's also bobcats around here. I've never seen a bobcat. I've only seen a very, very precious few coyote. And I'm in the woods a lot. Um, and, you know, when we think about bear in my state of Pennsylvania, we probably have about, you know, two million bear in the state. And I've never seen one. Um, but they're out there. We know that they're out there, you know, doing the little bear thing every day. We just don't, you know, cross paths with them. And these are wild animals and they're capable of staying hidden if they want to. Mm -hmm. And uh, you think about a character like Bigfoot that might be a self-aware character and it would be easily um, uh, adapted to keep far away from humanity. For sure. I've seen a few bear here in the area that I'm at, um, thankfully from a distance. <laughs> never want to encounter one face to face yeah that's right a, a moose either i've never seen a moose oh, really? i'm sure that you probably have yeah, i have um i don't think i've no i haven't seen any in ontario but when i was living in new brunswick i i used to see moose all the time on the highway it got to the point where the new brunswick government many years ago had to put a chain link fence along the highway to keep deer and moose off of the highway because it was causing too many accidents Wow, yeah. I can imagine what it would do to your car if you accidentally oh. hit a moose. We have a family friend who was driving on the highway several years ago, and at the time he was a smoker, and he said it was the only time that I was thankful that I was a smoker because he leaned down to grab the lighter in his vehicle to light a cigarette, and he hit a moose, and it caved, oh. in, it caved in the top of his car, and he says, had I been sitting upright, it would have killed me. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And he said that well, was a small I one. It wasn't a full-grown... <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, I, whatever, uh, speaking of Loch Ness, um, I remember that I rode in a car one time out of Inverness in order to get to Loch Ness. And I was rounding a corner at what I thought was a safe speed. 
And like as soon as I, I, I cleared the corner, there was a herd of Highland cattle in front of me. Now, luckily, I was able to hit the break in time. But there are animals out there that I would not want to be anywhere near my car. Nope. So this little kind of rush with uh, with megafauna kind of leaves me a little about leery about driving certain places. Mm-hmm. When we were in Alberta, we were driving through uh, Jasper National Park, and um, all of a sudden, all the traffic stopped because there's a bear just sauntering on the highway, just doing his own thing, and uh, <laughs> just do 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 do, just you know, minding his own business, and everyone's just giving him a wide berth. It's like, okay, you can go where you want. Everyone stayed in their vehicles, but. Yeah, it was just wild, the, the the actual wildlife you could see in Jasper Park. That's right. That's right. And and, and to think about that, now we have to cover across the United States mm-hmm. um, and, and the Canada and then talk about places like Australia and Europe. Um, you know, they have their native fauna, but they also are capable of harboring secrets as well. And then when we look at all the various stories from, you know, the native tongues and the native languages mm-hmm. uh, from all around the world, they always hint at these kind of creatures that are, you know, living in the shadows, right in the periphery of civilization. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, these are the kind of things that, that we call cryptids that they know exist that are out there. But um, we simply have not identified them by scientific names, so they go as, you know, mysterious animals and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I think it's, it's fascinating. I mean, look at what's going on in places like Indonesia where, where, where these um, these little hairy hominids are being sighted uh, uh, all the time by very reliable witnesses. Yeah, the world still has a lot of treasures to open up to us. It sure does. Uh, a few years ago, I was reading an article, I think it was in Vietnam. They thought this particular animal was um, extinct. But it kind of looked like a little striped deer, but it was a saber tooth. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I they, know saw what you're out, about. they saw it coming out of the jungle, and they thought it had been extinct for how long? So, yeah, you just never know what's out there. You never do, and and that's the thing is that we're talking about these like these these antelope and things, but there are sometimes mm-hmm. very large species of deer being uh, discovered as well. Um, but the fascinating thing is. All these animals were known to the locals, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, we in the West that didn't believe them because we thought they were just being superstitious, but these things were known by the locals and kind of led us in that direction, but we did not believe them because we're not the type to take, um, you know, any kind of uh, uh, evidence from, from people that we deem a little bit less scientific yep. or less educated than we are. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I just find it fascinating that, uh, you know, way back in the day where, because we're now finding out that various nationalities and, and cultures have pretty much the same cryptids or same ghosts. And back then, no one was able to communicate. They didn't even know about each other. So how is it that they're having the same the same encounters, the same creatures? That's right. That's right. With, with the same habits as well, too. That's the other thing. If we are dealing with something that is just part of the intellectual imagination of the human race, then you sure you might have some similarities. But we're getting very deep into almost biological habits and traits of a flesh and blood animal. You know, the way these things operate, uh, you know, to, to nuances, the way they feed, the way they move. It's the same if you go to Australia, to Africa, you know, to the Middle East. When we're talking about these bipedal, uh, bipedal hairy hominids, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're basically all the same. They follow the same general rule. 
And that to me is very fascinating because we're crossing time and space and nobody's talking to each other. But here we have the same animal performing the same way across time and across continents. Indeed. It's so fascinating. I just, I don't know how people can't find this interesting. Yeah, you know, I think that they do, and I think that because there's so many books out there right now, and, and ghost hunting is still, you know, that's still the rock star mm-hmm. of uh, the uh, paranormal world. You know, I do a lot of conferences, and people are always flocking to the people that go out and look for ghosts. Uh, you know, those are, are, are the premier uh, entertainment whenever it comes to uh, conferences. Um, but, you know, I always have in my heart this desire to think about what's lurking there in the woods. That, that's always been my thing. But as far as ghosts, it, it, to me, it's, it's not been one of those quests that has overtaken me because I firmly believe that there are ghosts out there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, I don't require any more proof in what I already empirically know, if that makes any sense to you. you know? Makes total like, sense. I don't, yeah, I don't have to go out there searching and asking questions and things. I simply know they exist. I, I think it's probably from my own experiences, uh, from my faith background, and you know, just a lot of different things. But yeah, ghosts are one to me anymore have been become rather boring. The search for ghosts to me, it, it seems very frivolous. Now I do like looking for ghosts in historical places because it kind of flushes out the history of these places. You know, mm-hmm. it kind of brings the past to life. But I'm not going to go out there and spend all night uh, talking into a, a box hoping that something answers me because I know for a fact that you know th- these bodies that we have are simply vessels for a soul that we really cannot wrap our minds around. You know, we are we are contained pure energy, and once this body falls away, that energy is still very much alive, and it has to go on someplace. You know, it exists someplace else. Um, and I guess that is a question of itself, but uh, it doesn't fascinate me as much as um, looking for Bigfoot. Yeah, when people find out that I'm an investigator, they say, oh, you're not afraid? It's like, well, I never said that. <laughs> <laughs> or they'll say, you know, you want me, you're trying to convince me that this these creatures exist? And I said, well, I don't, I'm not trying to convince you about anything. I know what I've seen. I know what I've experienced. And I'm not trying to convince you. That's right. That's right. And, and we're both on our search, though, right? I mean, mm-hmm. when we talk about anything, we're all on our very personal journey. Um, so people that are listening to you right now, people that read my book, people that go out on their own or watch TV programs about this stuff, they're all trying to make their own conclusion about what's going on. But I think at the end of the day, all these kind of creatures, all these kind of uh, paranormal phenomenon, we're left with a question mark. And that's healthy for us. That kind of puts us in our place because it tells us that we can simply not wrap our mind around everything that's out there. Mm -hmm. I think now I'm at the stage where I don't need to go and get the evidence and listen to a voice recorder and find out. I want to know, because I I know that exists. I want to know why, where where are these voices coming from? What are they Mm -hmm. exactly? That's the next step for me. That's right. Well, what also is very interesting, and I'm glad you brought up that point, is when we talk about ghosts or UFOs or cryptids, it seems like we have um, a kind of a shared gray area where all these things kind of overlap. And that, to me, is becoming very interesting as well, too, Mm -hmm. that it seems like, you know, we're not as far 
apart from each other, if I'm a cryptid investigator and you're a ufologist or mm-hmm. you're a, a, a ghost hunter, we all have this kind of shared interest in the paranormal, but it seems that if all these kind of phenomena are coming or deriving from some centralized source, and that's very fascinating to me. I mean, I, I've spoken to people that have been on ghost hunts and have photographed things that look like gray aliens. Have you ever seen anything like that before? No, I haven't. Yeah, I, a I've few times. It, um, I first came it. in contact. I first came in contact with something like this about five years ago when somebody was doing a, a ghost hunt. And they took a picture of what looked exactly like a gray alien in some sort of abandoned mill someplace. I believe it was in Ohio. Um, and then recently somebody up in Canada took a picture of what appears to be a gray alien um, looking around the, the jam of a door in a supposedly haunted uh, location. Hmm. So a lot of people throw that kind of evidence out. But when we talk about, you know, UFOs and the idea of abductions, you know, these aliens kind of seeping through walls, they do have a very kind of um, ghostly quality to them at times. And we might simply be projecting our technological world onto something that is more spirit Mm -hmm. than than extraterrestrial. I've heard some people believe that um, ghosts are simply us in the future trying to communicate with us and i thought that was a really interesting perspective it is an interesting perspective it sure is and i've heard that as well too and i keep an open mind you know i I most certainly do but um i think is whenever you become um become involved with communication with a loved one after death that Mm -hmm. is really kind of what was my turning point. I was very close to my grandmother. Um, she had polio. So uh, you can imagine a child that was growing up in the 1920s, um, you know, the kind of surgery that she had to go through. So mm. part of her, her foot had to be amputated. And in her later life, she was confined to a wheelchair. Um, but I was in college and um, I woke up in the, in the middle of the night and I knew something was wrong. And then, uh, you know, within 10 minutes, the phone rang and my roommate brought me the phone and I knew that my grandmother had passed. I just knew it because I could feel something in me Mm -hmm. leave, you know, something very tangible was torn from me. Um, And then, of course, I was, you know, very upset about her passing. I was extremely close with her. Um, And then one day, uh, and and I I will say that she had visited me. it, it was a, a bright white light that was filling my room, and she simply walked out of the light, which is very interesting because, mm-hmm. like I said, she was uh, I could find a wheelchair, but mm-hmm. here she was walking to me, and she said, you don't have to be afraid of death. It's just like entering another room. Mm-hmm. And then she didn't really disappear. She was more or less just absorbed by the light, and, um, and I found myself that I was sitting up in bed with the, uh, with the morning light shining into my face. Now, a lot of people can say that this was a psychological wish fulfillment, mm-hmm. you know, that this was just a way of me placating my, my desires to make sure that my grandmother was okay or that I was okay. But I, I tell you that this was a very real uh, experience that I had. So my, my idea that ghosts exist is, is really not a question of faith. Mm-hmm. It's just a question of belief. Agreed. My mother had yeah. a similar experience with her grandfather. They were very, very close, and he was in the hospital. And she woke up and uh, told her parents, Pepeur, which is French for grandfather, 
said, uh, you know, he passed on. And my parents are like, no, he's in the hospital. Go back to bed. And then the phone rang and it was the hospital saying that he had passed on and he had gone to tell her, you know, I've moved on. I wanted to say my goodbyes, you know. So then the family just kind of looked at my mother like, what? <laughs> she was just a young girl at <laughs> the no, time. No, no, I, I've heard stories. I mean, not only do I have a personal story, and you have a personal story, but so many other people have these same exact personal mm-hmm. stories. Uh, there, there, there's something more to it than meets the eye, you know. Yeah. And, um, and, and that really kind of says how connected we are. As humanity, doesn't it? I mean, we, we fight our wars and we battle with each other. But in the end, we're all made up of this kind of cosmic energy that binds everybody together. Mm-hmm. For sure. Just, uh, I, no, I wish people were thinking that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, it just fascinates me because I want to hear everyone's story. <laughs> well, that's why you have your your your, your podcast. That's why that's why we do it. Exactly. That's why we appear on these podcasts and why people listen because they want to share their uh, story. And sometimes it's vicariously through somebody else, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because they, they don't want to the, the personally uh, to speak it. But everybody is telling the same story a time and time again, and that kind of all links us together. Yep. And. Um I firmly believe that talking about it, like if you, if you don't necessarily tell your family and friends, but when you're hearing other people's encounters on other shows, then it starts making people feel that, well, maybe I'm not so far out. You know, I'm, maybe I am normal because That's other right. people are, enca- are encountering the same things that I am. And yeah, yeah. That's right. That's actually a good point. I think that if you don't have, some sort of paranormal experience nowadays, you're not the normal one. It seems like everybody now yeah. is having some sort of paranormal experience, whether it's an awakening or these kind of things are just becoming more and more prevalent or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we as humanity are now ready for this stuff, and maybe that's why it's becoming more acceptable. I don't know. Maybe. But it seems like you're more in the norm if you've had an experience than if you haven't. Mm-hmm. I love it when people say, I don't believe in this. I've had no experiences. And then you tell them what, what I, you know, what you do. And then they're like, well, there was this one time. Aha, <laughs> see, I knew it. I'm sure that's happened to you as well. Oh, it is funny. <laughs> and uh, I keep, I, I, I've said this story before. Um, inevitably, whenever you do a conference, there's a, a very uh, burly man, mm-hmm. uh, probably has a beard, you know, probably wearing camouflage, maybe some facial tattoos. It's mm-hmm. different wherever you go to. But he, he'll walk up to your table and look at your books and look what you have, and he'll say, you don't believe in this crap, do you? And then he, you, know, you say, yeah, I do. And he kind of laughs and walks away. And then like 10 minutes later, he comes back, and he goes, I have a story for you. And there's tears in his eyes. They're looking for somebody to hear their confession. It's very close uh, to you know, to being a priest, they want somebody that's going to accept them for who they are, who they are, exactly. and listen to their story. And and you know, I have really kind of fleshed out my idea of what the paranormal is by listening to these people. You know, whenever you're talking about Bigfoot, it's not a, an encounter with something like a bear or some sort of physical creature. This is a systemic, very individual, personal encounter with something that changes with anybody that witnesses this, you know, Mm -hmm. it's different for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's really showing that, you know, not only is this a part of who we are as humanity, 
embroidered into the very DNA of who we are as humans, but it's also something that exists outside of us as well. Um, I deal a lot with the idea of the collective unconscious and the whole idea of Carl Jung, that we're all interconnected by this, you know, shared experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I do believe that as well, too, that, that these things are part of us and they're also existing outside of us as well. My goal is uh, for the show, because um, we all know in this, in this world, the paranormal world, when people have had encounters and they don't tell anybody about it, that can eat them up inside. So when they can come yep. forward and actually talk about it, it's they feel so much better afterwards, and it's almost like thank you for listening. Right, but it's only been like the last maybe fifteen years that you could actually tell your story. Uh, even whenever Ghost Hunters came out, you know that was kind of like the pivotal point where this stuff became more um, acceptable. Mm-hmm. But if you can remember the first several years, you know this was still kind of uh, uh, a mockumentary. People were still making <laughs> fun of this kind yep. of thing. Um, but, you know, it's only been about 15 years that you could actually walk down the street and tell somebody your paranormal story. Now, I will tell you this. Um, I, uh, I'm a teacher in my, in my, in my other life. And, um, you know, I was told by the, the, the faculty that it's better that you do not tell people what you do. And I never did tell anybody what I did. But it, it's very cool whenever I'm, you know, exchanging children, you know, getting a child in the car, putting them back in the car, what have you. And the parent says... You know, I saw that you wrote a new book because they're interested and they're nice. doing this stuff on their own, you know, yeah. and I'm, you know, I'm, it's awesome. It's a great compliment whenever that happens. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, you've written more than a dozen books. I'm just wondering, is there, is there a subject that you haven't really approached yet that you'd like to investigate and perhaps write about later on? Yeah, um, uh, right now with uh, with our friend Brian Bowden, mm-hmm. um, he's a UFO guy. I've never been one of these people that have been into the idea of UFOs. They always seem very technological to me, and it seems like it's almost out of my uh, my um, uh, reference, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, my, my framework of reference. But um, I've always been fascinated with the idea of um, – possibility of an ancient civilization interacting with early North Americans, especially with the mound building culture. So right now we're trying to, um, uh, you know, hammer out the details of a book that would explore the, the possible connection between either an extraterrestrial or a, a, a an advanced civilization coming in contact with, um, with the mound building cultures of the woodland Indians of, uh, of North America. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I've always had a fascination with the idea of, of like Atlantis and where mm-hmm. these people might have come from. And, and and ancient astronauts theories ever since I, you know, first read Von Donneken whenever I was, you know, in grade school. You know, that's always fascinated me. So, yeah, I want to keep an open mind. And, and I visit a, a lot of different places where, um, you know, I'm left with evidence that I cannot uh, completely explain, you know, why why there were these great mounds and the idea of giants being uh, found within these mounds and then mm-hmm. being whisked away uh, by the Smithsonian Museum, which happened a lot uh, throughout the uh, late 1800s into the early 1900s. Not far from where I live right now, really? there was a mound that was excavated in about 1890. And, you know, there was, you know, it was front page of the paper that there was a, a giant uh, skeleton on Earth and, you know, it disappears. Hmm. wonder where they brought it. Well, the, the the idea is the Smithsonian comes in and takes away all the evidence and then kind of leaves behind 
um, uh, a propaganda of of misinformation, Mm. you know, to kind of, yeah. So, but yeah, if you, yeah, places down south, I mean, this was very prevalent. Now, now the problem is uh, a lot of the naysayers and a lot of the critics will say, you know, this is the time of P.T. Barnum. This is the Mm. time of yellow journalism. This is the time whenever you were trying to sell papers. So a lot of these things were fake. But from my research, I'm finding a lot of these papers showing up in very small towns where everybody knows everybody else. So it's hard to fake in a very small town. Um, and uh, they would unearth a skeleton that was found on, you know, Mr. Brown's farm. Everybody had a point of reference who this person was. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the next day that the bones were taken to, you know, a university or somebody from a, a nearby university came and then they contacted the Smithsonian because they have no idea what they're looking for. And then by the time the Smithsonian arrives, you know, in the paper the night before, you know, there was this great hoopla about the Smithsonian arriving. And the next day after the Smithsonian arrives, there's nothing more reported in the papers as if there is a, a calculated media shutdown after this event. Hmm. Wow. Almost yeah. like uh, what people refer to as men in black when they just hush you up. Yeah, it, that's the thing. There might have been men in black operating since, you know, the very beginning. You know, they kind of hush it up. Now, from a researcher, I'm trying to figure out why they would hush up uh, the discovery of giants. And I, I guess there's a few causes uh, of this. The idea of manifest destiny and the idea of genocide against a, a race like, you know, the Native Americans uh, is a lot more difficult to justify if you prove that they were actually an advanced culture. You know, it's easy to go in there with uh, and say that you're superior to these people in every way. Your your uh, superior um, civilization uh, taking over one that's, you know, a little bit over out of the Stone Age. But if you could find this link, this cooperation between an advanced civilization and the Native Americans, well, then the, the, the idea of Manifest Destiny becomes, you know, homicidal genocide that's a lot more difficult to clear up in history books. So, yeah. and also the idea of, of Darwinism comes into play. Could you imagine mm-hmm. if, if we are looking at the remnants of an advanced civilization that had its roots in America 50,000, 60,000 years ago, where, you know, that would upset all ideas of evolution? Yeah. That would be another reason why to keep this kind of stuff quiet as well. Like when science talks about the missing link, I don't believe that there's one link. There's a lot of different things that would link us that we just don't know about yet. It's not just one. Oh, oh absolutely. That's right. Um, that Hobo Florensis, uh, you know, the, 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 the Hobbit, mm. uh, that this little creature, you know, one of my favorite uh, uh, little uh, uh, missing links, I guess you will. You know, this is, the, 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 this is nature experimenting with, with certain forms to see where they will go. But I think that if you would go back in time, you know, we have been anatomically uh, uh, modern humans for about 200,000 years. But I think if you would go back to 200,000 years, you were probably dealing with, um, you know, a race of Denisovans, uh, which were able to interbreed with us, so very close to us. You would also would have the, uh, the uh, Neanderthal that were able mm-hmm. to interbreed with us. We know this for a fact. And I think you probably had, you know, maybe three or four types of very small humanoids that nature was playing around with as well, too. 
And then you probably had a few giant races as well, whether it was uh, a remnant population of the uh, Gigantopithecus black eye, or if it was possible that there was still other races of giants that heretofore is undiscovered in the fossil record. But I think that if you would go back in time, um, it was probably much closer to um, the Lord of the Rings, uh, thinking about all these kind of different species that were wandering around than we could ever possibly imagine. Yeah, and we don't even know that they ever existed. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so fascinating. You are such a fascinating individual, my friend. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, look, we, 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 we share this same kind of thing. And uh, I like this approach that you have. It's very conversational. It is like we're, you know, sitting, sitting at a bar someplace and uh, uh, just talking over drinks. I like this very much. Thank you. And I think that it, uh, it's, it's this kind of ease that, that in which we approach all of the subject, uh, both you and I. Uh, really allows people to be drawn in and share their own experience as well. So after this uh, this airs, I hope that there's enough people that will uh, you know comment on it because as researchers, we feed off of other people's stories. So please go ahead and share with us. Yes, yeah, I don't get enough feedback. I don't you know it still is a relatively new show. It's monthly and and this will be episode sixteen. Um, so we're still, still getting out there, but yeah, I would re I'm starting to get more and more people commenting, but yeah, we just want to hear people's inputs. That's right. Yeah. Whenever I do, uh, any kind of, uh, thing with my show inside the Goblin universe, mm -hmm. you know, I don't care if they, they write and say, you suck. I just want to hear <laughs> feedback. You know, yeah. that's the thing is I, I want to know that there's another human being out there that has taken the time to listen to what I had to say. Yep. <laughs> yeah, my first couple yeah. of episodes, I had a couple of, uh, well, quite a few negative uh, comments, and and I didn't get upset. I'm thinking, hey, you listened, and you gave me your you feedback. Listened. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, the thing about uh, the uh, the internet, though, and the idea of, you know, avatars now, mm. um, there are a lot of trolls out there yep. that simply want to ruin somebody's day, you know? Mm. These are the people that park in handicapped spots, and these are the people that you know will cut in front of you in line. These people are just nasty people, and then you give them a computer, and they can stay you know anonymous. They can write whatever they want. You mm -hmm. know that's fine. I've dealt with that. You've dealt with that. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you're going to be sitting there listening to the show, and you listen to a complete hour of what I have to say, and then you <laughs> tell me at the end of the I suck. Right. That, let, let's form some sort of creative uh, uh, criticism over this then. Yeah, I did my job. You listened to me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. And it, we, we could be professional athletes and go out there and suck every week and lose all the time <laughs> yeah. and still be getting paid big money. At least we're not getting paid big money. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So for your acting, it's a, you, so go it's ahead. a labor of love. It's a labor of love, isn't it? it? I mean, sure think is. about this. The amount of work that we have to do to do an interview, mm -hmm. it, it, if you did not love it, you wouldn't do it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just lost my train of thought. I know you were saying something. I cut it's you okay. off. I apologize. No, no worries. Uh, no, I'm just wondering for your acting career, do you plan on doing anything anytime soon? Oh man, I would love to. I uh, I got divorced not too long ago, um, and I have five children, so they have been more or less, you know, my entire life. Yeah. And and there's going to be a healing process that's going to go on. Um, and and you know, I'm I'm okay with that. But acting takes a lot of time. Um, I was one of those people that I never acted until I was, you know, later in life. And my my little guy got a, a part as playing a bear. 
and Alice in Wonderland at the local community theater. And I thought, you know, I would like to try that out sometime. And I did it and I really enjoyed it. And then I started to try out professionally. And then I, I started to end up getting actually some parts, which I was, you know, really flabbergasted by and really blessed to have as well, too. But um, acting and creativity is really something that I, I, I need in my life. But it is time consuming. You know, I, I've done a couple of uh, TV series in America and I've, cu- I've done a couple of movies just as an extra in the movie. Um, but, you know, that takes hours upon hours. And I, the, the one movie that I had uh, played in was uh, with um, Jake Gyllenhaal um, in, um, in uh, uh, Southpaw. Mm-hmm. If anybody has seen that, it's a boxing movie, um, and it was it, I, I was on the set for um, two weeks, and a lot of the days went 14, 18 hours oh, to get about ten seconds of footage. Yeah. So this is not an easy life for anybody. I, I love acting. I, I would much prefer the stage to anything else because it's immediate. You're there and you're gone. You don't have to worry about takes and everything. I prefer the stage over anything else. But hopefully before, you know, before long, I will be able to get my feet back out there onto the stage because I really do adore it. Have you ever done anything like that there, Kat? No, I haven't. I kind of like to try it sometime. It would be neat to try just to say that I did it. Yeah, just to say you did it, that's absolutely the case. And uh, and, I, and I did, and I really did enjoy it uh, very much. There, there's just something about... Um, Creation, the idea of, of, of expressing yourself that, you know, we, we talk about this idea of, of the interconnectivity of, of humanity. And that's another hallmark of who we are as humans, the, the, the need to create and express themselves in various ways, whether it's cave paintings or whether it's, you know, Shakespearean literature. Mm-hmm. We're all trying to express ourselves in some way. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm a people person. I, I still am. I, I really have a love for the human race and all of its, you know, uh, you know, how horrible that we can be at times. We're still a very, very beautiful species, and I do have high hopes for us. I agree. We are a fascinating species. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. Well, we're almost at the end, my friend. I know. Time completely I flew know. by. I, just I would. I could not like, think wow. of a more enjoyable way to spend an hour than with you. Thank you. This was a, so laid back. Like you said, like we're just having a beer, just having a chat. That's right. That's right. Like a that. little nasally today too, and that didn't affect me very much. I I apologize that I didn't have you know more range within my voice, and I might have been coming off a little monotone. But you know, just the last remnants of a cold, and uh, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, I think everything worked out quite well today. Yeah. No, you you were great. Before we <laughs> end it, uh, why don't you tell my listeners where you can be found and what your future projects are, if you have any. I, well, that's great. Yeah, you can go to Amazon.com and you can find all my books on there. Now, I, I, I mainly write on the paranormal, but I am also I have two collections of uh, poetry published as well that have nothing to do with the paranormal. And I have a couple novels published as well, but they do involve the paranormal. But mm-hmm. if you want to see my non-paranormal side, you can uh, uh, look into my my poetry. But yeah, I have, you know, a good many books out there. Uh, and I will have my newest book on fairies, hopefully, published sometime within the month of March. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Oh, that's really um, nice. And then, of course, yep, you can go to uh, to uh, uh, darlatours.net to look at any of the cruise and other travel destinations that I'll be hosting within the upcoming year. Um, and uh, you can visit me at uh, 
uh, RonaldMurphyJr.com, which is my my uh, my website, and you can check out anything that I have there as well too. And you can like me on Facebook, or you know, heavens forbid, come on over and just friend mm-hmm. me on Facebook. Look up Ronald Murphy. You know, mm-hmm. I uh, I would love to be your friend, and we can chat on Facebook as well too. And uh, my good buddy Brian Bowden and I, we host uh, a monthly. Uh, episode of a program called uh, Inside the Goblin Universe. Great show. Which can be seen. Oh, I appreciate that. I love it. Uh, that can be found on um, on YouTube right now. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm out there doing things. I also teach as well. So, yeah, a lot of things Busy. going on. But, Kat, it's, it's been a, a complete pleasure to be on here with you. It's been my great pleasure. Thank you so much. And I'll be adding the links to the show notes so if uh, people don't have to hurry up and write down what you just said, the, the links will be at like I said, on the show notes, so they can just click on things. And I, and I cannot wait to promote this whenever it's out. Thank you so much. And everybody, hey. don't forget about the contest. Um, email me at paranormalheart13 at gmail.com, like I said in the beginning, and I can give you more details. Thanks again, Ron. Thank you very much, Kat. We'll talk to you soon. Of course. made it to the end of another episode thanks so much for listening until next time take care of each other and if you'd like to be on the show or have questions or comments just drop me an email paranormalheart13 at gmail.com Paranormal Heart would like to extend a special thank you to PurplePlanet.com for supplying the music for the show. The views and opinions expressed on Paranormal Heart are those of the host and participants. 